Hello there and welcome back to Holy Snokes. It has been a while, hasn't it, Mom? It has been a while. I had a birthday. That was exciting since the last had, time we spoke. I had pneumonia. We are just a ball of galactic fun here. Let it's me tell you. A great start to 2021, I tell you. But, I mean, we're back, and what a great way to start off this year by talking about Phantom Menace. How was it watching it? Oh, man. I think everyone was waiting to hear what I had to say about Natalie Portman's performance in this movie. And let me tell you, I have some thoughts. However, all in all... I really liked it. I was not expecting that. I am pleasantly surprised. I did. I really liked it. I felt like George Lucas really knew what he was doing when he was making this. What I've learned is a space opera. So I was actually pleasantly surprised. Although... There is a lot in that movie that I'm just like, what the hell were they thinking? Yeah. All in all, I give it a thumbs up. Well, I'm shocked because I feel like this movie has either like intense love or intense hatred. Which we'll I can totally see that. Yeah, it's it's not everyone's cup of tea, and like that's totally okay. But I could imagine. If you were a huge Star Wars fan for the original trilogy, and then you just get years and years and years with absolute radio silence from Lucasfilm, and then they're like, all right, we're going to make another one, the expectations would be, like, very high. And then you see Jar Jar. (laughs) And then you see it, and you're like, what was George Lucas smoking? Seriously, there must have been some good drug use going on in the script writing for this, because it's wacky. It was the 90s. Oh, yeah, because the 90s were such a party time, let me tell you. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a 90s baby. Yeah, but you're a late 90s baby. So 97, what's up? And as a graduate of 1994 from high school, I can tell you that the 90s were not that exciting. So, Well, to me, this film's pretty exciting because it talks about taxation and trade routes and um political espionage and gridlock within our own government and as being a political science major with a specialization in international relations i love it like this is my crack like george lucas wrote this movie just for me but not anyone else. <laughs> I was going to say, I really did not pick up on a lot of the themes that you just mentioned. So I'll be interested to see how it actually plays out like that. Well, I credit the prequels for actually being like my interest in politics. Not necessarily like um, the jumping point of my love for it. I'd say like that was my like Egyptology phase. So I was oh, like, wow. Egyptology. I was like, wow, the Egyptians have this government based on like cats. Like, that's so cool. <laughs> but, um, oh my. But Star Wars is definitely that first time where I really thought about, you know, what is democracy? Um, what happens when like the Senate is in gridlock and doesn't work together? 
And like George Lucas is shoving so much political propaganda into these three films that even me as a child, I was like dealing with the moral dilemma of taxation and do you side with the separatists or do you side with the Republic and the morality of it all? So Phantom Menace came out in May 19th, 1999, and it had a budget of $115 million. So big difference from the last three films. Um, and its box office total was over $1 billion. It, it made some money. I took you to see the movie, even though you're a baby. Attack of the Clones is the first one I remember, but I'm I'm glad that I was there. You were there, and I'm pretty sure you your diaper leaked and you peed on me. But that's another story. Yeah, sorry. Um, but it got mixed reviews, especially with Jar Jar, which we will talk about that whole debacle later. Honestly, has there ever been a Star Wars film that has been like perfectly reviewed? No. So I feel like every time I say it's got mixed reviews, it's like, well, yeah, it's a Star Wars film. Yet everyone loved Titanic. I don't get it. Well, that's a shit movie. So it is isn't a like Titanic it. podcast. So <laughs> sorry. I guess the best way to start is just going through the opening crawl for this because it's not like the other three films where it's pretty straightforward. Because if you had been a fan of the originals and then you go into the theater to see Phantom Menace and this is the first thing you read. Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deathly battleships, the Greedy Trade Federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates their alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the Gardens of Peace and Justice in the Galaxy, to settle the conflict. Who does George Lucas think he is? To immediately be like, taxation of trade routes. <laughs> I read the opening credit and I've, I've learned from you that I have to. And sometimes I have to rewind to make sure I understood what was being said. But that's my whole thing. The small planet of Naboo. Who cares about the small planet of Naboo? There's bigger fish to fry right now in the galaxy. But see, I think that makes it even easier for the whole plan is... If it was Coruscant, which is the capital of the Republic, you know, this situation would be over so quickly. But with Naboo, where it's a prosperous planet, but doesn't really have, like, any um, major say in the Republic. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're a pacifist or not, you can really make hard decisions about that. And then that's where later on in the film, it becomes obvious in the Senate where it makes it easier to argue and to not come to any decision at all. That sounds a lot like what we've got going on in our own political system. So, oh, now I get why you're so interested in it. See, like, uh... it's so connected and it makes it seem like, yeah, like, this could really happen. Obviously, I wish this was real. <laughs> I wish this was all real. But it's not. But it makes it, to me, seem like um, closer to home than some like fantasy space opera. So that the nerd in me, Star Wars and political science, I'm like, oh, George Lucas, this is my kind of film. But 
a wild place to start. These are supposed to be movies for kids. And I think I'm the only kid that's ever like, I need to understand how taxation works. (laughs) So the events of the movie take place 32 years before A New Hope. So it's 32 BBY. So it's it's been a while before the events of the original trilogy. But we see baby Obi-Wan Kenobi, played by Ewan McGregor, and Wygon Jin. This the ponytail. I don't understand the ponytail. What is that thing on the back of his head? Does it make it better that Anakin has like the same exact haircut in a No, it makes it worse. Why are there two in the world? But that's what I'm saying. Like it's not Obi-Wan's choice. Where he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an individual. I'm going to get this weird ponytail in the back of my head. Yoda never had one of those when he was an apprentice. So it's not like it's an apprentice thing. Maybe it's a hazing thing. Like they're like, hey, you know, to see if you're really into being a Jedi, you got to have a stupid ass haircut. Ugh. You feel good now? <laughs> that you? Yes, I feel better. Thank you. God. So they show up at the Trade Federation for negotiations. Of course, it goes wrong. And they land on Naboo. And then that's where we meet Jar Jar Binks for the first time. Wait a minute. You're really fast forwarding here. Not really. Like, uh, five, what? I love how you've just skipped over the first introduction to Natalie Portman. Like, that happened in the beginning. Yeah. Why have you skipped over it? How old is she supposed to be in this film? How old do you think she's supposed to be in this film? 14? Yes. So, I was very active politically when I was a 14-year-old. I was a nerd, okay? Let's all just agree that that's what happened. I was really active in, like, my local city council myself. And I would have done a better job than Queen Padme. Like... She just, she's so stiff. She's so, she's so, I got the biggest stick up my butt. And it starts off from the very beginning. Can I give you a little bit of like additional information that might not change your opinion, but might clarify some stuff? Sure. So the whole reason why, because you might be thinking, why is a 14 year old? queen it's it's very much like their presidency it has an election in terms but in their culture they believe that um children or like young people are the best to rule because they have the their innocence still and so they're not um driven by greed or by money or anything that can cause corruption because they still basically just haven't been (laughs) exposed to life So that's why they've always elected really young people. And so Mm -hmm. that's why she had already been in politics and, like, had been doing, like, the junior senate and stuff like that. But that's why she's elected. Knowing, like, the background of Naboo culture and seeing this, like, um, understanding of, like, her and her handmaidens where it is a bit of, like, a a figurehead, kind of like the Queen of England. But then Padme kind of takes it like a step further 
just her as a person because she knows how to like use a blaster and there's people always trying to kill her yeah yeah Padme like everyone in this galaxy wants to kill this woman which I know you're like good that is not true I don't want her to die I just would have preferred a different actress in this role but alright I digress Jar Jar Lord so I am going to try to defend Jar Jar Binks. As oh well. my gosh, this is not going to go well. Just, okay. A couple things. First off, Misa Wana knows why you likes me so much. Yes. How rude. How rude. I know that like George Lucas loves Jar Jar. In the development of Phantom Menace, it was literally the first thing that they started working on was his design he's made four <laughs> children okay. so like clearly like from the beginning there could have been producers other people working on this with george lucas that could have been like hey maybe don't do this mm-hmm. and george lucas was like no nah, i'm doing it so clearly like you could blame it all on George Lucas. George Lucas wanted Jar Jar Binks. He got Jar Jar Binks. What I do not like is the amount of hate that Ahmed Best, the actor who portrayed Jar Jar, got as a result from this film. Because it eventually got to the point that he was like contemplating suicide and was getting all these death threats and he pretty much disappeared for years. So I don't appreciate that. I, when I was watching it the other day, I was like, do you know what? Like, the characterization of Jar Jar is really good. Like, the physical comedy, the the choices he makes, like, from an actor standpoint, very good. And he does, like, seem goofy, but it's supposed to be a kid's film. Like, it's definitely a character that, like, kids could be like, oh, he's so funny. Ha ha ha. Well, he does actually remind me of Goofy. Yeah. Like his physical body, like his mannerisms, how he walks. It's, I mean, I'm assuming that's what he was based upon is Goofy. Right? I mean, that's what, to me, I see those similarities. What I was wondering when I was watching him, though, is did George Lucas want to do something like Jar Jar to really showcase that type of technology? Because to think about what the movies were like you know, in 1999, I'm not sure there was anything like Jar Jar on the screen. Like it really, from a technological perspective, was pretty cool. The way he moved, what he looked like, um, the different people, the different other animals or whatever they're called that lived with him. And they all looked pretty cool. Yeah. So I wondered if that also has something to do with it. Like George Lucas was thinking, we've really got to show what we're capable of at our studio. Oh, I fully believe that because every single film he's done, there have always been those things that he wanted to do so badly, but then the producers and designers have to step in and be like, there's physically no way we can do this. The technic- the technology doesn't exist. Yeah. So I, I mean, just watching it the other day, like for it being as old as it is, his design looks really good. A lot of the graphics have... St- look pretty good for how old they are. I agree. And 
it's just like we've talked about before with Jurassic Park, where, you know, even now you still watch it and you're like, that's a real dinosaur. Totally a real dinosaur. Like, there's times where I watch the prequels and I'm like, like, are we sure this this isn't not like, yeah, like, oh, my God, I'm going to go to Volusia <laughs> right now. It's more just like, dang, like, this looks really good. So I definitely could see where Jar Jar was that design challenge of all the things to put the design challenge on. Is it fair to put it on, like, the most hated character? No. It's not fair to the character. It's not fair to the actor. But I would say recently people have started realizing that it wasn't cool to tell an actor to kill themselves. So I feel like the hate is starting to to disappear. I guess the one thing that I had a concern with, like literally a concern with, was the fact that it felt like some sort of white appropriation in his mannerisms and how he talked. And the actor that played him, though, was African-American, right? Yeah. So I guess that wasn't totally correct. But the way that they would speak to each other um, and like mannerisms and that kind of thing was just so stereotypical. And that was probably my biggest concern. I never noticed it before. But I think because we're all more aware of sensitivities to that, it really kind of showed now. And I've always wondered if, you know, when they're redoing Star Wars movies, if they would actually redo his mannerisms and his voice and the way that they sound like some sort of African tribe when they do the clicks and the knocks in their voice. Like maybe that would be something they consider redoing. No, I'm glad you pointed that out because I... I thought about that too because literally the first thing Qui-Gon says when uh he meets Jar Jar is like just you know just cuz you can talk doesn't mean that you're intelligent. Yeah, like what? And it's like okay, like you just met this man, like reel it back a moment. And so the entire movie everyone's just like, "Oh Jar Jar, haha, so silly. What do you mean you got banished from your home because you're clumsy?" Like all these things where you know they kind of are constantly putting him down and Jar Jar never really has the realization to stand up for himself. Hmm. So I could see where people from a, if you're making a film with the target audience being kids, that's not really a character choice, at least in children's media from like the nineties, early two thousands of, Hey, don't talk to me like that. It's always like, Oh, that's just the silly character. Who is so goofy? Ha ha ha. And then the the goofy character is like, oh, you know, I'm so silly. What can you do? But yeah, now we're like, that wasn't That's right. inappropriate. Qui-Gon <laughs> was being a dick. Yeah. Speaking of, who's Qui-Gon? Liam Neeson's character. How do you say his name? Qui-Gon Jin. Oh, I kept calling him Kim Jong-un. Because I didn't understand what they were saying. <laughs> I, I can't North Korea beat Star Wars. <laughs> like, I'm not even disappointed. Like, I'm just so oh. flabbergasted. <laughs> I don't hear very well. You know this. And I couldn't understand what Yoda would say. Qui-Gon Jinn. <laughs> oh, love it. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> Speaking of Jesus, can we hop to... 
learning that apparently Anakin Skywalker is Jesus. Yeah. So at this, so up to this point, we know that the Trade Federation is trying to force uh, Padme or the Queen, who's not Padme but is the yeah. Handmaidens. Karen Knightley. Yeah, Kira Knightley. So she's trying to force Kira Knightley to sign the treaty to make their occupation legal. And obviously she's like, I'm not going to do that. So they get the real queen out of there. And uh, they just show up on Tatooine because their hyperdrive is broken. So they need to fix it. And then they stumble upon Annie. Annie's really cute. So for a cute little boy, it's like weird to think that, yeah, he is somehow like space Jesus. Space Jesus. I, when Kim Jong-un was talking to his mother... And she's like, basically, I made him in my stomach, and then he was born, but I don't know how that happened. I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I know this story, and it didn't have to do with Star Wars. So, what's happening? Space Star Wars. Or Space Jesus. Space Jesus. Hmm. Great. No wonder he has so many daddy issues. He doesn't have a daddy. Well, he's also a slave. Oh, yeah, there's Which that. they bring up a lot. Annie and, and Shmi just talk about so casually, like, yeah, we're owned by Gardula the Hud, and Anakin works at uh, Watto's, like, junk shop, and yeah, we're just slaves, and if we run away, we get blown up. And, of course, like, Padme's freaking out, because she's like, isn't slavery, like, illegal not on Tatooine and yeah it's they're so far out that the jurisdiction of the Republic doesn't really affect them and then Qui-Gon's just sitting there like yeah and it's like aren't you a Jedi like shouldn't you like have some say in this like shouldn't you care he's like I'm not here to free slaves yeah when he said that I I love Qui-Gon Jinn but every time I watch the film and he says that I, like, want to take him out back and beat the crap out of him. Like, when you see something horrible happening to people, you need to stand up and do something. But I guess that's where it comes into the force is you can't get emotional about it, right? That's what we are in um, the Attack of the Clones is it's you've kind of got to leave emotion out of it to really use the force properly. Look at me. Look how smart I am. You're very smart. God. I'm proud of you. Wow. You've come so far. But yeah, so just don't care about the slavery. Um, but you do care about pod racing. <laughs> I thought you were going to say pottery for a minute. But yeah, pod racing makes more sense. They care. Like, there's a more emotional reaction about pod racing in all these Tatooine scenes than there is about any of their discussions about slavery and um, being viewed as property and not people. It goes on for a long time, too. Like, did they really have to go around so many times? It's it's like um, like Super Mario Kart, where you have to do the three laps. Uh, I, like, I like that George Lucas is like, I know this is space Mario Kart, but they need to do three laps in the three desert. Three laps! I wonder if this is how people feel about like professional motorsports. Like people who aren't into it at all just don't understand 
what the value of watching a race for four hours is. Yeah, the so Mew of NASCAR. But at least, like, in this space NASCAR, you've got, like, Tuscan Raiders shooting at you and death. That's a, <laughs> like, that's a common occurrence. Like Oh, and child labor, right? Because you've got Annie, who's how old at this point? Nine. It's even grosser to think that he's so young compared to Padme. Anyway, that he's the one racing the car. A little boy. I just like that him and Saboba have this beef. And then you think about it from just an outsider's perspective. Like, why does this, like, old guy that's an alien have, like, a big-time beef with a nine-year-old boy? Is that the catfish? Yeah. Okay. Saboba. I like how you don't even question my reference to him as a catfish. Like, you knew exactly who no, I was. No, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, weird catfish man that walks on his his arms. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Mm. Sepulva. So he wins. That's great. Yay, pod racing. Isn't that sound, like, so satisfying, the noise of, like, the engines? I have no idea what you're talking about. <sighs> Apparently, everyone, the engines sound amazing, according to me. The, the noise of the the pod racers. Oh, the boom. Yeah. Boom. That's that a noise. noise. Thank you. Oh, you're not complimenting me. No, I wasn't complimenting you. I was complimenting <laughs> the pod racer. But yeah. I'll, I'll let you think I was complimenting you. All right. So he wins. And then that's when we start learning about the prophecies and midichlorians. And... <laughs> Qui-Gon just, like, steals Anakin's blood. Like, hey, just look, what's that over there? Is that a balloon in the sky? Here, I'm taking your blood now. He's like, I'm going to clean this cut. Oh, I just, I'm going to take a little bit of blood. Go play. And then he's like, <laughs> Obi-Wan, I need you to check this kid's blood for me. Like, seriously, this is another example of the slave trade, right? Where they're seeing certain people as better quality than other people. It's just baffling to me. Oh, yeah. Anakin's a high-value slave. Mm -hmm. He's got more midichlorians than Master Yoda, so... More than 20,000, right? Yeah, more than 20,000. I remember! Good I just kept thinking, like, what are all the midichlorians doing in your body? Like, are they having a party? Like, are they just hanging out, having a picnic on a Saturday afternoon? Like, what do they do? See, I think about that all the time. Like, from a biological standpoint, how big are they? Are they like a parasite? Where you oh, God. I don't want to think about bugs. But, like, where you can see it in a blood sample? Or is it smaller? Is it more on, like, a um, a cellular, like, internal cellular level? Like, how, like, what are they doing? I don't know. I have a lot of questions. Clearly, like, if physics in Star Wars is just not real, I think that could be the same for biology. Isn't that kind of like the Scientologists, though? They believe that you have, like, little BBs or something in your body? I think so. I don't know. The only thing I know about Scientologists is that they believe that aliens flew themselves into a volcano and their ghosts were released into the world. And they took over your favorite pizza place in downtown Ybor City. Uh, how dare they get rid of Old Spaghetti Factory? <laughs> anyway. Anyway, so Qui-Gon just steals Anakin. 
has a really sad scene with his mom where she's like, you need to go live your life. Like, I'm going to stay here and be a slave, but you have a chance to, like, get freedom. And it's like, dang, okay. Well, Annie, Annie is, like, all upset. And then he's like, mm, all right, let's do this. Let's blow this joint. Well, because she's like, don't turn back. Don't look back. It was really a sad moment. It was really sad. I, from me having a cold heart, I was like, oh. Oh, you don't have a cold heart, man. Okay. But then we see Maul for the first time, like, interact with them. We've seen him in, like, small clips with um, Sidious just talking about finding the target. And we see him, and you're like, oh, my God, it's this red man with horns. When he took his hood down, I was creeped out. Why? The, hor- the horns, the horns. Freaked me out. Sorry. They get off Tatooine and they go to Coruscant. And then this is where I start generating out because then you see like direct manipulation of Senator Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Where he's talking directly to Queen Amidala and is talking about the corruption in the Senate and is like literally whispering in her ear about how, you know, Chancellor Valorum like is very inactive in the politics and he allows the Senate to be in gridlock and, you know, there needs to be a strong leader who will call them out. And I'm like, this manipulation is great. <laughs> like, what a great way to understand his character and how Senator Palpatine manipulates every single person he comes into contact with. So then by the time, you know, we get to Revenge of the Sith, you can kind of see like how long his plan has been in motion. I was surprised that he was he even was able to manipulate the Jedi. Like, don't you think they should have been able to felt what he was really up to? I saw that more, I guess, in the Attack of the Clones. But well, they talk about a lot that, you know, Yoda like says it like every five lines is like, oh, <laughs> where he's like, the future is clouded. The dark side clouds everything. <laughs> so they're so uncertain. And then they talk about that Attack of the Clones where, um, like, Mace Windu's like, should we tell the Senate that our powers are, like, not what they used to be? And oh, like, yeah. And Yoda's no. like, no. Don't show our cards, bro. Because he's like, you know, we we don't need the Senate to not trust us. Like, if they see that we're not on our A game, like, that's just not going to be good for anyone. So it's weird, like, political chess that you see going on. But then you also have to remember, like, 20 minutes beforehand, we had, like, a 15-minute-long pod racing scene. <laughs> so, like, it it really jumps from, like, kid moments to, like, adult moments so yeah. quick. So, I love it. I'm not complaining. And then, yeah, then they actually finally talk about what midichlorians are. Like, they spent half of the film just bringing out these random things. And then finally, like, in five minutes, they're like, this is Senator Palpatine. He's manipulative. But we can assume that he's Darcidious, but no one knows. This is the what the Phantom are. Yeah, the Phantom Aren't Menace. Now that I figured out who the Phantom Menace was, I'm very proud. I just side note: Mia and I try not to talk about Star Wars on our off time, but I actually had to call her and tell her that I figured out who the Phantom Menace was all on my own. 
Yay, mommy! The Phantom Mass is doing his own thing. Yep. And his digits and everything that's going on. And then they decide just to go back to Naboo. They're like, yeah, we're just going to go back. It's not like we were running for our lives earlier in the film. We just got to go back and deal with this. So they go back. They find the Gungan army. And then they're like, yay, Wisa gonna help you. <laughs> Party time! Party time! So then we kind of have, like, our group separate. Jar Jar goes, is now a general. Yeah. Wow. Whatever. Is now a general in the Gungan army and faces off against the Trade Federation's army. So the Trade Federation has their own battle droids that they have funded that are controlled remotely from a control ship that is in orbit mm. in order to defeat the army you need to take out the ship but they also need to get to new gunray who is the viceroy of the trade federation who is in the throne room and also deal with the battle droids that are doing the occupation on the ground so now we kind of know like okay jar jar is going to handle the assault uh, Padme, Qui-Gon, and Obi-Wan are going to handle getting to the Viceroy. And then we have Anakin, who's just been tagging along for some reason, who accidentally is like, I guess I'm going to go blow the ship up. Well, I love how Kim Jong-un was telling him just to stay in the plane. And he's like, I'm doing what I've been told to do. I'm sitting in this plane. I'm not doing anything else. But then the autopilot is like, whoopsie, whoopsie, you're going up to space. So then here is, now we're at the most iconic scene in all of Star Wars, Duel of the Fates. And that is where we see Maul just show up and he drops his robe, Ugh. pulls out that lightsaber, and then there's another blade. What? And then the John Williams score. This John Williams, already in this entire film has just been producing bop after bop. All of this music is so good. The droid army march is one of my like favorite pieces. Anakin's theme, I think, is so beautiful. And then we've got Duel of the Fates, which is just so iconic with the orchestra. It, ah, uh, like, I love that entire scene. And then you have to think that the fight choreography just in that scene was so good between like Ray Park, who is the stunt actor for Darth Maul, and Ewan McGregor, that they actually had to slow down the frames because they were going too fast. I thought Ewan McGregor in this scene was really looking pretty good. So, and he was kind of a side actor from the most of the movie. So I'm really glad that I see him a lot more in Attack of the Clones. Ewan McGregor, you're pretty cute. If you want to meet me, just uh, send us a DM. Thanks. Yeah, I wouldn't mind, like, being uh, your PA for the Kenobi show. Mm. I have I have a lot of nerd stuff going on up here, so I could help mm. you do your research. But <laughs> you had asked me the other day, does Darth Maul die? And in 1999, I would have said, obviously, the man gets chopped in half. And his torso and his legs plummet down an endless chasm. Dude, that's a big word. That is a big word. 
In the year of our Lord 2021, I am here to tell you that Darth Maul does not die. Spoiler for the Clone Wars. He comes back in season four of Clone Wars. It is mostly because George Lucas like went to Dave Filoni and was like, hey, I need you to like write an episode where Darth Maul comes back. (laughs) And Dave's like, uh. Yeah, Dave Filoni was like, are you kidding me? (laughs) And he didn't give him like any context. It was just like, yep, Darth Maul needs to come back. So you basically learn that the chasm he fell down goes into, like, the garbage, and then all of the garbage is taken to, like, a garbage planet, kind of like in Thor Ragnarok. Ooh, I love it. So you know how, like, there's that garbage planet? Yeah. Where Jeff Goldblum's, like, the king? Oh, so Darth Maul and all the garbage gets taken to this garbage planet, and then he just spends the next ten years fueled by his hate of Kenobi. Which keeps him alive. So basically, he survives off of spite. And then, yeah, and then he... And then he comes back in season four of Clone Wars. And then just becomes a big problem for everyone. (laughs) Because he's just hunting down Kenobi. But yeah, so he's not dead. Um, Which, like, I could understand. It's just like with Boba. Where Boba really didn't do anything, but then he died. And he has, like, a cult following. Same with Darth Maul. Like, Darth Maul says, like, four lines in this film. Dies. Is in, like, one of the most amazing scenes in all Star Wars. And at first you'd be like, who's this guy? But I know so many people that love Darth Maul. On, like, a creepy level. Like, obsessed with him. Yeah, I'm not one of those people. Yeah, I, I'm not either. I'm like, he's cool. But good for those people, I guess. Everyone's got someone. So then Qui-Gon dies. Aww. Oh, I liked his hair, though. And I like Liam Neeson, too. I love Liam Neeson. You know how much I loved Aslan. Oh, there's another good movie. He's been in, like, everything. He's, like, the hardest working man in Hollywood. Actually, no. Do you know who is the hardest working man in Hollywood? Randall Park. Do you remember the episode of The Office where um, Jim gets his, like, actor friend to pretend to be him? Yes. So that's Randall Park. There's, like, this meme going on right now where people are, like, watching just something random, and then Randall Park's in it. Because if you look on his, like, IMDb, I think he's in, like, over 120 credits. (laughs) So, like, that man is in everything, because he's in WandaVision right now. Oh. Is he in Star Wars? I don't think... I don't think so. Well, then let's not talk about him. No, I'll start a petition, kid. Get Randall Park in Star Wars. Non-canonical. But, um, yeah, Qui-Gon dies and is like, hey, I was going to train Anakin, so I need you to train him, because I'm about to die. Now he's your problem. Yeah, now he's your problem. And it's funny because even earlier in the film, after like Qui-Gon argues with the council about training him, Anakin's like, Master Qui-Gon, sir, I don't want to be a problem. And it's like, Anakin, (laughs) you are going to be a huge problem. Huge. You are the problem that destroys the galaxy. But you can't tell that to a nine-year-old boy. If he's like, I don't want to be a problem, you'd be like, oh, it's okay. I would be like, yeah, you're going to. You're going to kill a lot of people. But. Including trying to kill your own children. 
you know, they kind of deserve it. <laughs> Just being kids. But Obi-Wan gets knighted. Yay. Yay. Just take that ugly braid off. And I did can- notice that it went away. I was very happy about that. Yep, that's the Padawan braid. Mm-hmm. So once you get knighted, cut that off. Or if you are a Padawan and you get expelled from the Order, it gets ripped off. Oh. Yeah, right? No. Oh. I remember but- rat tails in the 80s. I can't imagine ripping somebody's rat tail off. Well, I think they gingerly cut Obi-Wan's rat tail. But then he... um, Hold on. Where do you think that is? Like, do you think it's in some sort of storage locker in the movie studios? You know somebody had to have kept it. Do you think you and McGregor kept it? I don't know, because I think about that where since Disney's acquired Star Wars, you know, they've been, like, very careful about letting the actors steal stuff because <laughs> like they will come after them so like unless it is gifted to them like adam driver doesn't really have anything daisy ridley doesn't really have anything unless it's been directly given to them but i fully know that like all the actors in like the prequels have their original lightsabers they have costumes they have just random memorabilia so i would say like either he has it i don't know why that'd be the one thing that that you would steal <laughs> or it's in like some archive underneath Lucasfilm's headquarters in San Francisco and it's like in a box and you have to wear gloves to like touch it <laughs> like it's an artifact uh, hair yeah, there's some interesting hair going on in the prequels but then we have the funeral and and that's how I want to go remember don't forget fire yeah, like a Viking, Burn. baby. Okay. So I, I'll i make a mental note. And, um, and what music do I want played at my funeral? Queen? That's right. Okay. I don't want that at my funeral. <laughs> it's important to talk about these things with your children. And then, and then the phone just kind of ends. Like, yeah. Mace and Yoda talk about it where they're like... You know, was Darth Maul the master, the apprentice? There can only be two Sith. Which one was which? And then they just panned to Palpatine standing there. And it's like, well, obviously. <laughs> it's this guy. He killed the apprentice. The master is standing right next to you. And then, like, the movie ends with, like, a weird celebration where all the Gungans are, like, marching through the street. And then Padme gifts the the head one, like, an orb and then it just cuts to credits. That honestly seems like a very Star Wars thing where the endings have just been like so quick. It's so dramatic. It's so dramatic and the music's like, oh, it's all fun. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Well, I've actually taken notes for the next time we talk about Attack of the Clones. Do you want to know what I wrote down? Oh, yeah. Baby. Sand. Kiss, lots of boner moves, including rolling in the grass, and copy and paste clones. These seem so cryptic. Like, I, <laughs> you're going to have to explain, like, the baby part, I'm, you're going to have to explain that because I have no clue what you're talking about. But or maybe, I don't know. But we'll do that on our next episode where we talk about the attack. 
Clones. Oh, I am so ready to talk about Attack of the Clones. <laughs> so ready. Are you ready? I'm, I'm a little afraid now that you said it like that. You should but, be. Oh my gosh. But at least now you know what I've picked up on so far. It's some interesting stuff. Very interesting <laughs> stuff. But until next time, may the Force be with you. And also with you.